Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode is about supply chains and we really just started talking about what was going on with supply chains and the group very quickly got into a much more forward-leaning, future-leaning look into how supply chains are disrupted and how hard it's going to be to put them back or they may never come back and why. Fascinating conversation. I know you will enjoy it. Do you, do you feel like um, we're vindicated from the perspective of like warning that supply chains could be fragile or is it just like, uh, shucks? Well, I don't think anybody has truly understood how long the impact of the supply chain snarl is going to affect us all. Mm. I think that, you know, everybody says, all right, you know, it'll it'll take a half a year, things will this is the kind of thing that is, you know, potentially years in recovering from and possibly not even recoverable. Years. Why, why do you think years? Well, there are a number of things going on here. Um, first of all, um, well, it, it, in a way, it's kind of simple queuing theory, um, but it's, um, there's a very big problem that's coming out that are, that's compounding it, and that is, Right now, look at what's going on in the UK. Now, they've got some additional externalities, but you don't have enough trucks. You don't have enough truck drivers. You don't have the infrastructure to take it on, internal distribution. Uh, And we're in a situation right now where just making up the backlog is going to be it isn't fixed by running the ports 24-7. It's not fixed by, you know, calling out the National Guard and having them drive trucks. You, um, you, you don't have the local production to, to make up for the supply. Uh, well, right. So you, you've got a, um, you know, you've got a, a, a situation where um, <clears throat> certain types of shipping and transport are going to get very strained to to say the least. And what will end up happening is that it will start taking priority, meaning that things will for energy, food, um, Mm -hmm. kind of the the necessities, they they will start taking the precedent and what will continue to happen is, you know, the uh, kind of the disposable income, the a lot of the other uh, products that get moved by uh, these same means are going to back up in a big way. Now, I don't think it's going to be, 
Oh. I think it's possible to fix just on infrastructure. There's the service personnel that are involved in all of them. And we still have, in particular, um, food and energy that's crossing international borders. It's going to be years. It's an interesting. So in, in what you're saying, is part of this the fact that there's hard assets that are slow to create? So like I've been thinking like, oh, the ship, we're just not don't have enough chips and we have to get through a backlog. But I'm I'm hearing you saying we don't have enough trucks, we don't have enough ships, the ports don't have enough capacity. Like like it's not a matter of um like I mean, I know there's a container shortage in certain locations. Um and those aren't quick, you know, you don't get new ships, highways, or ports um, anytime soon, right? Uh, just like you don't get new power infrastructure, right? You know, building a, a power plant's a long, long term. Well, any, um, any, just recovery is one thing. Trying to get back to where we were, the question is, do you want to go back to where we were with, you know, a dependency on just in time and, and, you know, uh, and, and basically leave yourself open for any disruption coming down the pike. So you're you're suggesting that people are going to not only buy their, you know, get back to just in time. They're going to say, "Ooh, that was that was painful." I'm going to ramp my inventories. They're going to say just in case, not yeah. just in time. But the the problem is actually more dire because you have raw material shortages that Rich did not mention. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, copper, zinc, cobalt, Lithium. Rare earth, other rare earth minerals. You have farmers who experienced droughts and or floods in your local markets. You have imported goods that are stuck not only backlogged up to, depending on the industry, 51 weeks or longer, but in the foodstuff cases, you have issues with the basic necessities to make food that's processed, right? You also have issues. Flour. With, there's also issues with, with getting the, 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 the products out of the farms. Like it, 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 it doesn't matter if you, if you produce enough food, if you can't get it to your downstream uh, consumers, right. whether it's end user or, or, or intermediates, that, that has a limited lifetime. It's and, and, and an enormous amount of that is last mile or last kind of 10 to 50 miles issue. And that's, that's not, that's not easy to fix. No, know. but I, I would argue that, that at the source, the issue is more dire only because of the fact that you had, what was it, um, uh, in, in certain commodity foods, like not something that I'm necessarily a part of, but pork, for example, right? You had massive diseases where whole populations were being mm. eliminated. You have the same thing with chicken whole populations were exterminated because of disease. Then you had issues with like Tyson Foods in your country, 
right, had major cholera, sorry, E. coli outbreaks, then COVID outbreaks, then listeria. So you have backlog from the farm all the way going forward. Mm -hmm. And then you get into the logistics and transportation issues and where they can flash freeze or freeze dry or cure foods in certain ways to give them longevity. They're trying to do that. But overall, the supply chain from agribusiness is rapidly depleted, like majorly depleted and rapidly diminishing. So according to whatever it was that I was reading last week, World Health, whatever, not WHO, but on economics and and commodities, they were talking about the fact that usually in the U.S. there's two weeks supply chain of food. That's now down to nine days. And if you have another set of really bad weather where crops are are decimated, it's going to get worse. And, you know, like everybody up here, I don't know about Klaus, but in, in my neck of the woods and in the area, anything that has been advertised as on sale or has sufficient quantity where you can go to the store like two or three times in the same week of goods being on sale, we're all buying and freezing whatever we can. Mm-hmm. Because we think it's going to get much worse as the weather gets colder. Yeah. Because those supply chains are always impacted by weather anyway. It, yeah. In in a sense, as technologists, um, we've we've kind of already been aware of this problem in our own field and under centralization. Like we with, if, you manu- if your manufacturing capacity is centralized in Southeast Asia, if you can't get your goods outside Southeast Asia and in, into the rest of the world, that's your supply chain problem. If your if your uh, foodstuff manufacturing is centralized around macro farms, mm-hmm. again, what if you can't get it out of the, the farms to 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 the mm-hmm. table? That's that's uh, your waste. Ultimately, the, I, I think the, the, the suppliers that, that are going to benefit long-term from this, and, and I mean, benefit is kind of a loaded word, but, but the, perhaps I'd say that the suppliers that are going to be hit, hit the least by this are the ones that were already local, micro farms, uh, local farmers, uh, sustainable practices in general mm. uh, and i mean hopefully this will bring a global shift to towards decentralization not just in technology but on goods um right. and it might well be that uh we as technologists who have already been st- have already started uh, thinking about decentralization and, and what is next necessary for it, may be able to, to provide some insights uh, for that, for the rest of the world. Well, there are there are some growers that I'm hearing about in certain parts of the world that are actually trying to create like pop-up processing plants. Mm. Like Ocean Spray suggested this to some of its growers. Um, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but about 90 to 100 kilometers north of where I am in Toronto, Um, is one of the biggest cranberry growing uh, areas in North America. And so Ocean Spray, which has facilities there, actually went 
out of its way earlier in October to create um, a facility that would go literally uh, bog to bog. And instead of um, freezing the cranberries, as they usually they get transported and then frozen or turned into juice or whatever, they were literally turning it into juice right in the field. And I'm hearing more and more cases of that. And where I'm looking, and I put this question to Caterpillar and to John Deere, what are you doing about it? Because not only do they have the capabilities in the machinery, but they also already have the Wi-Fi capability, the remote monitoring, all of that stuff is already built in. Go do that for the farming community as opposed to them transporting to you. And that way you can sort of alleviate some of the issue wherever possible. You know, for fruits and vegetables, it is possible to sort of keep them a little bit longer um, by processing them at the first stage as opposed to the second or third. But for meat and poultry and things like that, I don't know. But it's going to be a very interesting winter for everybody, I think. Yeah. It, it it almost feels like science fiction what we're living because these these are themes that that I've read in the past in science fiction and and, and it's not rare to see it. Uh, it it just usually presented at, at at the larger as a larger theme either post apocalyptic or or even post utopian uh, and and it's it feels surreal that that we are experiencing. The, the the same issues that 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 we've written fiction about in the past. There's a there's another factor that I don't think anybody knows, and that is that um, the labor, the service labor that is that we're depending upon for transport in particular and for logistics these are exactly the people right now who are a leaving those jobs because the the pay has not been good enough the and the treatment of uh has not been good enough but another factor is that that is exactly the group that have been hit by the what might be well it's actually called excess death in the US because that very cohort has not had the ability to go into hospital get treatment make it into the ICUs and the result is there have been probably in the US about an additional half a million i've seen estimates but they're by the by some pretty decent counting somewhere between half a million and another 600,000 deaths attributable to the fact that not by covid but in excess of what normally would be this case in the us these are people who have died because of the denial of health services. They couldn't get into an ICU. They couldn't get into. They couldn't uh, get uh, operations when they needed needed it. They couldn't get treatment 
or they elected not to because it was too dangerous. So you have a you have a cohort of people that are on which we depend in all of those situations, and they that population is shrinking right now, and. Uh, I don't know how long it would take to replenish that population of workers who labor. Well, I'll add labor to the to the list of uh, yeah. right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pause this for a minute because I'm I'm fine to run the rest of the hour on on this topic because I love where we're going. I'm also happy to at this point, pause and switch over to the plan topic, which was about licensing. It's also, I know, an interesting topic for the, the crowd. Um, I did I did track this as a future topic if because I if I know we could go much deeper, but I'm okay either way. I think it's a great I think it's a great topic. It'd be nice to take it take it away and and actually think about it a little bit more. Um, so I, I would very much like to hear what folks have to say about licensing. Okay. Uh, I think in you know, mid-December, considering the holiday season coming up, I think we're going to see some very... Um, it, will know, be, um, it will be, it will be uh, a relevant topic. Let's just say that. It will be, yeah. It'll be the, probably dominating the news cycles. Yeah, instead of, you know, getting news stories about people, uh, um, bad behavior on airplanes and so forth, you will you will get people going and getting into fistfights at the toy store, you know, shopping for Christmas presents. This is one of those conversations where we start small and grow and it becomes its own topic. Uh, so we let it run for a little bit longer than we would have would have in a 15 minute sort of intro session. And we put it on the schedule to keep talking about. So come back, join us, listen to the full discussion about these supply chain disruptions and what we think is going to happen and why it's going to be fascinating. Check us out at the 23.cloud. If you want to be part of that conversation or look for it coming up, right in the new year. Talk to you then. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.